Hey family, I'm Mark. Welcome to the Realizing Revelation 7-9 podcast, the Presbytery of San Fernando production. Realizing Revelation 7-9 means we are awakening to new meaning in Revelation 7-9, and we are working to make Revelation 7-9 a reality. This week, we get to hang with Rich Poole, the pastor at Kirk of the Valley and Faith Presbyterian in North Hollywood. Rich shares some personal stories around race and justice, and we end up in a lively conversation about internalized racial oppression and how the opposite of racism towards one culture is not racism towards another. And then Rich shares his perspective on what stands out to him about Revelation 7-9. Without further ado, Here's our conversation with Rich. Hey, family, welcome to the Realizing Revelation 7-9 podcast, the Presbytery of San Fernando production. Realizing Revelation 7-9 means we are awakening to new meaning in Revelation 7-9, and we are working to make Revelation 7-9 a reality. I am your host, Mark Fields, and this week, we get to hang with my brother, a friend in the Presbytery a pastor, a devoted husband, devoted father, navigating all of those realities, a curious, devoted Christ follower who I think has done this work of trying to be an ally well, of educating himself, who's taking courageous steps forward. And I'm sure we're going to talk about what that feels like. Does it feel like fumbling? Does it feel like um, faith? How does that feel like? But I'm, I'm sure you have heard of him. I think you should know him. He's been a great brother to me in conversation. He's welcomed me. He's shown me hospitality. And I think he's just an incredible asset in our presbytery. And I think in the kingdom of God, ladies and gentlemen, Richard Poole. Rich. Wow, man. Thank you. You are so welcome, Rich. I'm really grateful for your time. I know that you are splitting time. You're the pastor. You're kind of pastoring in two places at Faith Presbyterian. Is that technically North Hollywood? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. Very first, it was North Hollywood Presbyterian Church. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then for probably a long time, it was First Pres of North Hollywood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they renamed themselves Faith Pres of Valley Village after the Northridge earthquake. Mm. Kind of. Phoenix rising from the ashes, kind of a new start. Mm, that's beautiful. And you're also pastoring at Kirk or Glen Kirk? Yep. Oh, okay. oh I like that. Glen Kirk. Good. Nah, Kirk of the Valley. Uh, <laughs> Kirk, of course, is the Scottish word for church. Uh, and that's been about two years. Okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm part time at each. It's an experiment. Bottom mm-hmm. line, we think both of these little churches can do more together than they can on their own. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a fun experiment. I'm enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Mm. not without its challenges but you know (laughs) yeah that's where we try to try to get to is to see challenges more as opportunities than obstacles right Mm. you're Mm -hmm. you're really good at that i've seen you i've seen you do that you inspire me in the conversations that we have Mm. you're always you're always turning things um in the in the direction of possibility i appreciate that that's I, I love you calling that out, Rich. And I'm so you got an eye for that. <laughs> I'm so grateful for this time where we can think about race and faith and our personal stories and what does it look like to embody, to unveil the kingdom of God around faithful diversity. And this project kind of birthed out of our goal to see more Christ-centered diversity, gospel diversity in the presbytery. And I think that your perspective is so valuable. So I want to start us there in how you've gained your perspective, your story of race and faith and why gospel diversity matters to you. Would you share with us a little bit about that? It's hard to know where to start, right? Um, I think there's two things that I'll reference. One, of course, the tipping point with George Floyd made this Mm. more pressing for me. It Mm -hmm. made it harder to ignore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'll just use the phrase tipping point because it's not like that was the first time 
and I know and I've seen that it's not the last. Mm. And I, I wrestle with our secular short-term memory. And I don't, this is bigger than um, a news segment. You know, like we, we have to engage in this consistently, not just when it's in the news. And so uh, that my other thing that I'll reference is, um, and I, I can't nab the scripture perfectly, but um, the Apostle Paul's concept that in Christ, there is neither uh, mm. slave nor free, Jew mm-hmm. nor Greek. Mm-hmm. Uh, throw any label that you want at it. Uh, Paul's experience of Christ was that in in the kingdom or the kingdom, I like kingdom, drop mm. the G, mm-hmm. um, the reign of God that is, I was going to say genderless, but it's like, it, take any one of those labels and like, just drop the label out mm-hmm. and and in that place there is true equity and equality and and the value is all set right so um that is for me that is like that's uh that's what god is accomplishing i was about to say trying to accomplish <laughs> yeah the, the obstacle is best I could tell is free will. It's us, you know, mm, like, mm-hmm. uh, and I don't know why God has elected to do it this way, but I'm willing to trust that God mm. has a plan. Mm. It seems like it'd be so much better if God just snapped God's fingers and just fixed everything. Yeah. But <laughs> God has decided to involve us in this. Uh-huh. Doesn't look like a great call to me at this point, but God must have a good reason for it. So mm. like, they're connected any struggle for for equity or equality is kingdom work kingdom work as far Mm -hmm. as i'm concerned but because of that free will we we decide for a lot what's important what to do and so i just i just struggle trying to keep those two things connected i feel convicted that they're connected Mm -hmm. i see the connection Mm -hmm. and even seeing it i struggle to honor my intent mm, and mm-hmm. and make progress on this and live into it mm-hmm. that's really good in, i love in that any one context honor my intent. but this is a charged one you know and so i think the higher the stakes you know we either really want to engage or we're more reluctant to engage mm-hmm. mm. I love I love you sharing that. I love that idea about honoring my intent. And I, I really appreciate that picture of kingdom and kingdom where <laughs> um where all the labels take their shadow to the kingdom and Christ, and there's just faith, love, and hope. I really, really, really love that you say that. And I think I know an organization that's like, you know, NWC that's focused on that. So that's, I love, I love that you, you share share that. And that scripture comes from Galatians and, but Rich, I want to go back a little bit and I want you to share a little bit of your your family of origin, your, Mm. your cultural, how do you locate yourself socially? Mm -hmm. Would you share with us kind of what that means for you, social location? Certainly, yeah. take a stab at that. Um, I identify as a white heterosexual male. I don't know if I need to take it any further than that. Um, I know we can go deeper, but um, uh, I, I have some sense that my descendants primarily come from England where before that, I don't know. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, people didn't start out in England. They came there from somewhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I go back. I belong to a group of people that came here as, uh, you could say a couple different things, colonizers, immigrants. Mm-hmm. Mm, um, interesting. I think, you, you know, you could go down either of those. Those are both good, valuable things. Um, I was born 
a Californian in the United States of America, you know, and I have some sense of history in terms of, you know, this was, this was indigenous land and, and, and there were some immigrants, um, that were associated with, uh, the colonizing of central and what we call central and South America, you know, overlaid on top of that. And then there's the United States of America colonizing and, and immigrating and expanding into the West military conquest, um, suppression of people, Mm -hmm. uh, in the land of the free and the home of the brave. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I consider, you know, I, I, yeah, I, I, I want to be a proud citizen of the USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to be a proud Californian. Mm. I want to be a good Christian. I want to get those things to reconcile together. Mm-hmm. And there's a way for them to reconcile together. Mm. But it's messy. It's complicated. It's complex. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I was, I was uh, raised. I was taught. I was impressed. I was molded. I was indoctrinated. I see the world a very particular way. I'm one who was born into a lot of privilege. And part of that privilege means I don't have to consider my privilege. That's that uh, blind, the blind stuff. Like, and, I, you know, I read, I think I only read the first chapter of White Fragility. It rocked my world. It's really powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm taking it slow because it's that powerful. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I was that I took away from that is this: uh, I realized the truth of this observation that um, if you're white and you're uncomfortable, you basically sort of provide like a doctor's note or a hall pass. It's like I'm white and I'm uncomfortable, so I don't have to do this anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Let's see. What else can I say? Well, let's just pause there. And yeah. did I miss anything, or should I expand on something? I want to know. I, I do want to understand. Uh, I I appreciate you taking us. I, well, I I appreciate all those realities, and I think that you are you are helping us to see some of the larger narratives, some of the larger things that are going on. And I want to know some more of the particular things about you growing up in California. Okay. Did you experience racism as a child? Did you ever watch discrimination? How did your parents raise you? Was it really hospitable culturally, mm-hmm. racially? Um, did you notice different kind of behaviors towards others? And then, uh, and then I want to go back to Hall Pass and white fragility. Okay. Um, <laughs> after you share with us a little bit more about that, let me take sure. a note here. Yeah. So I was born in California. A couple different things. I moved around a lot. And I think that had a, an influence on me. Um, by the time I was 18 years old, I lived in about 13 different houses in three states. Mm. Um, I grew up, my dad was in the marina management industry, so I basically grew up on lakes. And it was a really fun life in a lot of ways. A lot of fishing, water skiing, boating, a lot of time outdoors. Home for me was kind of wherever my mom, dad, and little sister were. It was less about a place, mm-hmm. and it was more about us. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it was almost nomadic, and it was a little tribal mm-hmm. in a way that like, probably is different from most people, but that's my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that one of the things that that helped me get good at is um, I'm pretty adaptable. Mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm. I I meet people well, I roll with the punches, I go with the flow. Um, I met a lot of new people. I got used to meeting new people. Meeting new people for me wasn't hard or scary. Um, I, I think I mostly grew up um, in rural communities. The, a lot of these lakes were rural. Um, I do have a, a, a prominent memory. It's either from first or second grade. Um, this is probably the first time that I had a friend who was African-American. Mm-hmm. And 
there's something about a child's innocence. I didn't at that so at that point I didn't see color. And there's like pros and cons to that, but I just saw another boy who I enjoyed spending time with. Mm-hmm. And at a certain point it's like wow, yeah, he does have a different skin color and his you know his hair looks different and this that and the other. Um and you know at a certain point stuff that doesn't matter as kids starts to matter and that's a very important transition that we make. Um and I remember learning about and and feeling really inspired by Doc, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And those are some early memories that I have. Mm-hmm. So, that's that's helpful. You mean to say more about that? No, I I think that that's helpful because to me, when I hear that story of someone who is moving a lot, someone who's on these lakes. Now I know in my own personal experience, I I didn't go on a lake as a black man. Until I was like, I don't know, 22, 23 or something like that. Mm-hmm. My daughters, who are black and Filipino and, you know, my mother's German and English and my wife's father is Irish. And so they're so multi-ethnic, but they have been on lakes multiple times. And mm-hmm. like they're they're more exposed to things that I wasn't just in general. But in my mind, I'm just yeah. imagining like lake culture. When The last time I was on the lake... I didn't see a single other uh, black person in the yeah. marina or anywhere. This is at, I don't remember what, it's some lake, that, wherever the Colorado River meets, mm-hmm. there's some lake where it meets in Arizona. So we're in that tri-state area mm-hmm. um, this past summer. But it was like really wonky for me. It felt wonky to be in this space and to like just not see any black people anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. Barely people of color at most. I mean, and we were there with some, some family. There's some uh, Latino family there. And uh, there's some Filipino family there. And there's some white family there. Yeah. But yeah. But, and I only call that out to say like, for me, no, that's my experience of like lake culture right. and like water sport culture and all that stuff. And, I, and I'm not like my algorithms don't show me water sports anymore. Um, so I don't know how diverse that's become, but I know like that day that we were out there, it was like mostly white folks. And then like the day after we're kind of hanging out, there's a rental property on the Colorado river and the boats and jet skis that were going up that river all day long. I didn't see another black person or really even a person of color outside of the people we were there. As I look back at it is definitely... I would say largely a white recreational activity. And then interestingly, there's kind of two categories of the white culture. There's very wealthy and affluent people who can afford all that. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's also sort of a I'm ooh, it's a it's an insulting term, but sort of like either redneck or white trash. There's a lot of that culture um, that's associated with that environment and you've got those two subcultures rubbing right up against each other isn't Mm -hmm. it you know hadn't actually unpacked that a whole lot in terms of like what that did to me or how that shaped and molded me Mm. i wonder i i I wonder you know even as you said you know the, the the label that we've created for like folks who are white and experiencing poverty. Mm. And well, that's a beautiful way to frame that, Mark. Thank you. Well, yeah. Well, I don't know. I think it's interesting to me because, I mean, I don't know who listens and, and how they're going to experience that. Um, but I also know, like, and I don't, I mean, maybe that's that's what stereotypes are. You know, it's like we use this yeah. word and we all have these um operating images and imaginations and understandings of what that word means. And so for you, when you're grasping for like, how do I figure this person out? You use this word that we all have heard and been exposed to. It gives us an image of someone, but I also think it also doesn't 
it doesn't quite dignify the image of God in them. Certainly not. And it's probably not a term that I would ever use personally, like yeah, yeah. individually. Yeah. But in a weird way, and this is a, an interesting part of the human experience, uh, you know, intellectually or academically, I might use a term like that to describe uh, a tendency or a type. Mm-hmm. Not, not meant to be taken personally, but could be personally very offensive. So, you know, I'll just take a moment. If I offended anybody in saying that, I'll own that. And I'll apologize for it um, and just be, just be human in the midst of it. Yeah. Well, Richard, first of all, I appreciate that because I wonder, like, I think some of the people who would be offended by that, I don't think that they would identify that way, but I think that they would feel like, is this, you know, we're just turning, you know, we're, we're, we're flipping stereotypes and discrimination we're just going to now point it at white people. You know what I mean? And, I, and that's like an right. exaggeration. So the person who would be offended by that hearing this in my, again, I'm making an assumption here, which I would imagine that they would just feel, oh, this is okay to do in this direction, but not in that direction to these cultures and those cultures. And I know that that's not right. your heart. And I think, mm-hmm. so I, I just, I keep having that quote that you said earlier to honor your intent. And mm-hmm. I know that that's not your intent. And I have a friend who, my friend is, is, a, is a public figure. She is verified on all the things. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's incredible. And she has a close friend who has like, who is also an influencer on a world scale of just millions of people. Mm. And my friend is multi-ethnic and she does diversity trainings all over Los Angeles, uh, big Fortune 500 companies. I mean, she's a she's a monster. She's a big deal. And her friend said something really problematic that almost got her friend canceled. Mm. This is probably like 2020 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And she told her friend, she had this conversation, and she said, look, I understand your intent was not to do this, but you have to be responsible. You're not responsible for your intent. You're in- responsible for your impact. Mm, that's good. And uh, so I just love that. She took that moment. And so we take that moment because to to pause and to reflect and to take ownership of the impact, because I think what happened is we tried to shortcut something in a way that really doesn't point to gospel or Christ-centered diversity. It literally is like you opened up talking about how beautiful Galatians, I want to say Galatians 4, 9. If I'm right, I'm a super pastor. And if I'm not right, I'm still a super pastor. Okay, for those of you who are listening, I'm still a super pastor if I get it right. Let me see. Come on. Even if I got it wrong. I'm feeling like it might be in a couple different places. Come on. uh, Galatians sounds right. But... Oh, I know it's Galatians. I just not four. He's got Galatians. Oh, stop it! Oh, I'm not there yet. Dang it! I'm I'm off. I might be in the right pericope. <laughs> mm-hmm. Nope. Let's Gosh, just point out a minute and appreciate that the word pericope uh, was dropped. Yeah. Um. That. Dang it. Bum bum ba dum bum bum ba dum ba dum bum. It's probably earlier in the chapter. You know. Oh. 328 there is neither now jew nor greek slave nor free male nor female for you are all one in christ and i i want to talk to that because you you mentioned how beautiful that is is and how we get there and then you 323 that's 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 remember that's memorable because of romans 323 all have sinned and fallen Mm. short of the glory of god Mm mm-hmm but I, back to this conversation, I, I I think that it's interesting how we we have a an imagination and an affinity, and we all want to experience this, whether we would use this language or not. Where we can walk into a space, create a create a faith community, be a part of a faith community where a woman's voice is honored 
equitably with the men's voice. And it doesn't matter if you're Californian or if you're from Mexico or if you're from Europe or if you're from Africa or if you're black or white or Asian or whatever your background is like we all I think in inside deep down we know that's what we want to experience we want to experience equity and joy and peace and love and kindness and goodness and gentleness faithfulness all the fruit of the spirit in one place I know some of those weren't the fruit of the spirit but we all want to experience it in one place well and yet if we, we could take a minute here maybe we don't you're in charge Let's see if we can't correct what we call cancel culture because yeah. It, yeah. It, it sets out to do a really good thing. It sets out to call out injustice mm-hmm. and uh, implicit bias and a lot of problematic things in our midst. That part of it's really good. Um, the problem right now, as far as I can see, is when somebody, like, I'm thinking about, like, you can't solve a problem if you don't know what it is. But right now we get to the point where when the problem becomes evident, it's like, eh, that's it. You're done. Yeah. Um, you're canceled rather than having a moment to recognize. And this is hard work mm-hmm. for a person to be like, oh my gosh, like I just said that. I think this way. Yeah. Uh, this is in me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so. It, it, we need an opportunity to allow for some self-reflection, some accountability, some responsibility, some responsibility taking, and then some change. Mm-hmm. And and when there's just such a quick cancellation, like identify and cancel, that we just shortcut the opportunity for depth, growth, healing. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is to me what seems like it'd be a big part of the problem with social media too. You could just you could just drop something in a chat room or a post or whatever because I'm not very good at this. Yeah. I don't do it very often. Mm-hmm. And then run away. Now, you don't have to necessarily face the consequences unless they do catch up with you. Maybe maybe that's one valuable part of cancel culture. Maybe it's like an intent to like have there be, it's going to catch up with you. Mm. Like you can't, you can't just behave any way you want and then not face consequences. So mm-hmm. just looking for the balancing act on all this. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, Rich, what I'm feeling, we are pulling up, we keep pulling up into like 30,000 feet. And I think that's important. We give a scope of how do we navigate and what is this idea and that idea. And I I want to bring us right back to the ground (laughs) because (laughs) you used a term to shortcut and to give a description, right? And you feel Mm -hmm. bad about it. You took ownership of it. You said, you know, I apologize. Mm -hmm. I don't Mm -hmm. mean to offend anyone. Mm -hmm. But in utilizing that quick, that term, you have more trust in the presbytery than I do. Like you Mm -hmm. have, Mm -hmm. you're, you know, on the, on the uh, innovative, what is, what's the church committee that you're on? Oh yeah. ECG. uh, Yeah. Evangelism and church growth. That's right. Evangelism and church growth. You're ordained. You're in two spots pastoring. And you made a mistake for the sake of, like you said, I think I would never use this in conversation, but I would use it intellectually mm-hmm. in an academic setting to shortcut. But that one, that statement undercuts the reality you want to live towards, which is yeah, that's true. there is yeah. no white trash, black trash. There is no immigrant trash. There is no executive right. trash. There's just no trash. Right. All, all made in the image of God. Mm. And, and mm. so we come back to the scriptures to try and live that out. And I love, you know, in this space, I think that it takes relationship to, to get to intent. And I think maybe that's why, you know, to talk, I, and I don't want to go back up into the clouds. So I'm mm. just going to say mm. like, because I know who you are, I know the dignity and honor that you hold for all people. I know we've had conversations where you share how important it is for you to be hospitable to diverse groups of people. And you're thinking about Mm -hmm. how do I honor these people? Well, I'm not sure I'm not from that tradition. I'm not from that culture, that race, but I really want to honor these folks as I'm innovating, as I'm trying this, that, and the other. And so because we have that relationship, 
I, you know, I know your heart, right? I know your intent. And yet, like, if it was, if that part of the, let's say like that part of the conversation got just cut out of here and somebody said, well, you know, some pastor in the Valley talks, was talking about some like white trash or something like that. I don't really know. Yeah. I like, think it's yeah. taken way out of context. And and really the context mm-hmm. is your whole life. The context is you trying to, you're, you're unpacking this thing, this idea that you've never really felt before, which is like, there's some people who just kind of drop in and get on the water and they like rent a boat, rent a tube, rent a this, rent a that, rent, 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 rent. They go have a blast. They spend oh, thousands of dollars to do it. And then there's people who have like have their boat that was like passed down to them from their father. They brought this, you know, they brought their cooler a beer and like this is a cheap way to go get out and just not be at home and to recreate and to rest and be on the water because life is hard. Life is hard for all of us for for the executive, it's exhausting. And it's and it's much more exhausting when you're experiencing poverty, regardless of what race you are, and so you're unpacking that live, and we shortcut it in a way that didn't mm-hmm. reflect the way you actually think about people, but yeah, it did betray something within you that was willing to shortcut in one space and not in another. Yeah, right? mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good look. But you're not canceled. And that doesn't make you any. That doesn't make you any less of a called pastor. It doesn't make you any less of a Christ follower, right? I, I, I. Well, I think the only way that it would is if I, it, it, if you get to the point of just sort of flagrancy, or it's like my intent is so valuable that, or so meaningful that, it covers a host of sin. Yeah. And I could just abuse it. Yeah. You know, it, or a host of impact. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So that would be problematic. Uh, here, I'm here. I'm willing to take accountability and responsibility. Help me out. You know, whoever's listening. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the trouble. And know, I but think, anyway, we're trying. Where are we trying to get? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Why? Well, I, I just appreciate that. It's, it's not like we're human and and we all have these spaces you know you talked about implicit bias and we all have this um internalized racial things we all have mm-hmm. implicit bias internalized racial oppression internalized racial suppression um mm-hmm. or superiority mm-hmm. there are there are all these things at play and that's why we talk about family of origin and what were the images that we saw around us? How do those create imagination for the world around us? What are the images that we see around us as it relates to kingdom diversity? And this is why, again, when we look at television and on the news and it's always like some person of color running from the police, some this happened, that happened, and you're just looking at like, okay, well, how many, you know, and it's gotten way better, but how many people of color did we see on that screen? How many people um, of color did we see uh, inflicting violence or doing crime or being mm-hmm. put in jail or, and it's, it's, it's just, there's a lot that's happening in our imagination. And for me, that's why we come to the text. That's why the renewing of our mind, uh, by the word of God, by by the scripture, is so important because <laughs> it's funny because when I think about the Old Testament and the trajectory of the scriptures, like we're reading this story of this small ragtag, back to nomadic, this nomadic group, mm-hmm. um, this nomadic minority that is exiled and oppressed and taken out of their land and forced you know integrated into these um colonizing empires and then these different races come out of that the samaritans there's all these different things that are happening and then jesus comes and models this way that honors everybody welcomes everybody so much so that as paul is apprenticing jesus and living he says wait now there's no jew there's no greek and for him, he's done all this work to be the Jew of Jews. And he's saying, yeah, no, there, right. there is no Jew. There's no Greek. There's no male. There's no female. Rich, poor. That all, there's, there's, there's just, this isn't that. Slave or free? 
We are all one in Christ. I love that. So the scriptures give us an imagination for empathy and really like for honor. And Jesus work on the cross, his commitment, the ways that he crossed boundaries and borders all throughout his life to keep saying women matter in this time in these empires mm-hmm. where women don't have a vote, children literally are worthless, worthless. I'm telling you, if you would treat a child like that or teach a child in these ways, that it would be better for you to have a stone wrapped around your neck and you be thrown into the sea. So he starts to flip these narratives and create imagination that honors women and Samaritan women and sex workers and these these outcast, marginalized people groups, he keeps saying, the way you would treat them is how you've treated me. And what you've done to them, you've done to me. And what you won't do for them, don't act like you would do it for me. Mm -hmm. And he gives us imagination. So I want us to look into Revelation 7, 9, get an image for like the fulfillment of gospel diversity Mm-hmm. And we'll imagine that a little bit. Okay. Revelation 7, 9, John has this vision of kingdom Christ-centered diversity. And this is what it looks like. Verse 9, after I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. This is Revelation 7, 9 through 12. Rich, what comes to your mind on the back end of our conversation about intent and impact and adaptability and when we make mistakes and, and cancel culture and the imagination of gospel diversity? What, what comes up for you in this conversation from Revelation 7-9? The, the first thing that comes up for me is Matthew 28, 19, the great commission from Jesus to his disciples to go, therefore, to all nations mm-hmm. and teach and preach and mm-hmm. heal. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one way you could frame that up is to be agents of reconciliation and um, ambassadors of Jesus. I think that you really beautifully identified a significant portion of who Jesus was in in the manner that you did just a minute ago by, by talking about the way. And, you know, it's interesting because just to characterize it, Jesus is often mm-hmm. talking about um, the, the high and the mighty will be brought down and the low be lifted up. And I think that human nature is to think, yes, yes, those fat cats, you know, they're going down and us poor folk down here, we're going to flip the scales and see how you like it. But um, I think in reality, I think this is what makes Jesus better than us. And this is what makes a Christian worthwhile is that they don't just use that human scale. You strive to get off that human scale and get on the divine one because where, where humans might want to just flip it and be like, yeah, see how you like it. I think that what Jesus is working at is, yeah, you're up here, you're going to be brought down yeah you're down here you're gonna be lifted up so that everybody ends up on a level playing field which is what revelation 7 9 and and some other places describe is that we finally get to a point where we stop trying to one-up somebody else and Mm. uh we recognize there's something bigger and more important than ourselves and Mm -hmm. what we want and Mm -hmm. 
then when you let go of that, now we can start to talk about the power of letting go, power of surrender, the power of sacrifice, um, and the manner in which God has consistently demonstrated that power and exhibited it and lived it and how God continues to do that in the midst of our consistently defying it, even me, <laughs> right here, right now, we've seen it. You know, we're looking at the difference between intent and actuality. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm somebody that, I'm, you know, I've been privileged, I've been blessed, I've been lucky in a lot of ways to have opportunity to, to study these things, to learn these things, to make my personal passion my profession. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've got, you know, like, like Paul's saying, what did you call him? The Jew of Jews, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and he's saying, yes, that's significant. Yes, that's valuable, but it's not as significant or valuable as what I found in, in Christ, mm-hmm. which is a big statement to encapsulate mm-hmm. all the mm-hmm. things that we've just said. Number one, mm-hmm. the experience of Christ from the gospels and this concept of a, a, an eternal Christ which is what we're talking about in Revelation. And the distance between the journey between being God's fallen child and getting there. Mm -hmm. You know, for me, what I love about what you're saying is drawing us back to the person of Christ outside of this moment and the lamb and this image that John is sharing and not just the beauty of the diversity in that room, but the work that Jesus does on the ground to constantly embody justice and equity. And to me, like what comes up for me when you say that is Jesus's, his compassion to both. I'm thinking about his compassion to the Pharisees. And this goes back to like intent and impact. Mm. You guys, I know you have been apprenticed into this way of believing that the Messiah will come. I'm telling you, I am he. I'm him. And they couldn't swallow it because they're they're They were so focused like on preserving the culture that they were given, preserving the way that they were brought into, but their impact was to exclude what God was doing in that very moment. And they couldn't even recognize that. Mm -hmm. So I, I really, you know, I think about Jesus's compassion for them, the ways that he kept saying, guys, you're supposed to get this first. I want you to get this first. And it wasn't like, I want you guys out of here. I want this. He has such a respect and honor for the culture, for where he came from. If it weren't for rabbis, he wouldn't have known what he knew. He was brought up fully human, learning in the temple, reading, being being shown, kicking the scripture around, turning the gem around as they would as rabbis. How do you see this? How have you seen this? What did your rabbi say to you about this? And they would all kind of like have these different understandings of what this text meant and what this meant from Genesis, what this meant from Leviticus, what this meant from Exodus. But Jesus modeled that. We're talking about equity and justice. And for me, the thing that came to my mind too is John 10, when Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And for some of those who, when we think about like abundant life, (laughs) a lot of times we think about money and we feel like, yo, you know, that's where it's at. And if God wants me to have an abundant life, then I'll have like um, financial margin. And I think that that's true. I think God does want us to have financial margin. And I also think back to what you said earlier, some of that depends on how we use our money, how we spend our money, how we save our money, how we invest our money, how we give our money. Mm-hmm. And and that's in our ballpark to control. But I think that back to equity and justice and the playing field, there are people with lots of money who feel miserable and are not experiencing abundant life. And there are people who 
with little money who are thriving and experiencing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Like they're experiencing an abundant life. And I think that Jesus wants that. Mm. And I think when we think about race and equity and justice and like, it's not like we need to knock these people down. That goes to like this zero sum mentality of like, well, there's only so much power. There's only so much. And that's why I think Jesus had a mindset that said, back to what you said earlier, a mindset of possibility that said like, no, no, no. Like all of us, we can all experience this. We are all made in the image of God, all children of God. So when you're in a crisis and you need to pray, remember you have a father who is out of this world whose kingdom is now and forever, who's on your side, who would never give you a snake if you needed bread. Mm-hmm. And he just has this mindset of like, no, we can create big and beautiful. There's so much more. Don't we know that our father owns the cattle on a thousand hills? Don't we know that our father is endless? Don't we know that our father's love for us is endless? And so I think that that mentality though, coming into equity Mm -hmm. and racial justice. Mm -hmm. I love that because if we think sometimes, if we're thinking scarcity, then it's like, well, if, if we start to adjust, you know what I I was thinking about um, this morning, our conversation with Dr. Tamisha Tyler, Tyler came out and I was listening to it. And I realized there was a point in the conversation where I said something that reflected a scarcity mindset. I was talking about power and let's talk about session. And let's say our church is made up and, and our church session, which represents the presbytery and, and is thinking through that stuff. We have our, um, our commissioned elder or elected elder or our ruling teaching elder, or, you know, I'm learning all this stuff, Rich, I'm yes, learning, right? And this person <laughs> is is seeking the will of God and of Christ for the community, but there's this balance. And what I said was, well, maybe there are seats that someone needs to step down out of that position of power, out of that vote to make a room for someone else. And what I think the real way is, that might be true sometimes, but a lot of times we just need to make session bigger. Just make the table bigger, mm. add more seats, Add more votes. Add more people. I don't know how that works in this context, but back to Jesus' abundant possibility thinking, the invitation into that, it doesn't. It's not zero sum. There's more. Yeah, when I think about that, I go to the feeding of the multitudes, and mm. while on the one hand it's entirely possible that there was truly uh, a miraculous multiplication. Uh, a more, uh, almost a, a miraculous multiplication. Mm-hmm. You know, an, another interesting perspective that has challenged my notion of what happened that day is that Jesus inspired people to think about what they had. And that when people went and looked at what they had, that there was enough for everybody. Mm. So I think there's a big difference between uh, a perpetual multiplication, a, a constant increase versus mm-hmm. just a sense of, I already have enough. And there's a, there's a real power in that, mm-hmm. but it's complicated stuff. So, yeah. Rich, for you, when you say that, when you th- when you talked about the multiplication of the bread and and what was there and people understanding what they have, it made me think about the church today. Mm. It made me think of Kirk of the Valley, um, Faith Press. When you think of the church, how is it acknowledging what it has as it relates to racial justice and beautiful Christ centered diversity, kingdom mm. gospel diversity? And how is it um, not acknowledging what it has and not living into that? So let me say a couple things about that. Mm -hmm. And let me also just recognize that um, I'm I'm learning something about myself and I'll have to just, you know, put a pin in this, come back to it later. But Mm -hmm. um, there's a part of me, you know, we've already talked about it, that likes to operate at 30,000 feet. 
Mm-hmm. I, I mm-hmm. love it up there, man. <laughs> I, I love looking at the big picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet in doing so, every now and then, I will say things that are either harmful or insulting or taken out of context. So I say that to say, I'm going to reflect on this, um, but in a way, that's not fair or appropriate because um, I'm still in these communities. Yeah, yeah. Well, right. Okay, so what, let me take it out of that context then. <laughs> uh, when uh, let's, you know what? Let's just go for it. Um, uh, and then we can edit it out. Whatever you know, we well, let no, it, no, just no. let it be. Well, you know, we don't have to use names, and and I use those names sure. as because those are contexts where you are. But really, we're sure. thinking about like when you look out at the church, because yeah. you talked about this like acknowledging what you have and that life comes from that. And if we're thinking about race and diversity and gospel diversity, then okay, All right. how are we not acknowledging what we have? How are we acknowledging what we have? How are we growing that sense of like mutual flourishing because yeah. we acknowledge what we have and we're sharing it and there's belonging and interdependence and mutuality. So yeah, let's think about that. Let me take You're a stab right. at it, okay? Okay, let me yeah. take a stab at it. So- yeah. <laughs> For the most part, for the most part, the the PCUSA we have we reference Scott Scottish heritage. You know, for the most part, this is a a group of people that is historically um, Anglo immigrant colonizers. Um, mm. Now, over the over the decades and centuries the Presbyterian ideas have been picked up by other groups of people. And because Presbyterians do care about uh, and have an understanding of Jesus in the manner that you described Mark as someone who challenged the isms of his day and there, you know, a lot of overlap Mm -hmm. uh, that was attractive to people. So the, the Presbyterian church, one of the things I like about it, it was, it was involved in abolition. It was involved in civil rights. It was involved in women's rights. It's been involved in environmental. Presbyterians, for the most part, are fairly well educated and informed, and they care. Mm-hmm. But you know, here's where here's here's where it gets different. Where, where the church, where the Presbyterian church could do better is, and maybe I see it this way because this is how I see it myself. It's similar to the way I could do better. It's, there's a big difference between recognizing and, and reconciling. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can intellectually see that there is that there are systemic problems that there are systemic forces that need to be challenged and called out and addressed but i'm going to excuse myself as well at least i'm trying at least i'm doing you know at least i see it but then actually engaging in it you know that's harder um mm-hmm. and a- another thing i can just sort of observe and you referenced this in terms of the pharisees uh the church is historically and in my experience presently either not good at change or resistant to change or allergic to change (laughs) and that that's a that's a problem And it, it, it leads right into what I'm sort of pointing at, which is there's, there's a difference between recognizing and reconciling. Reconciling takes change. It takes action. Mm-hmm. So I will just say that Presbyterians are actually either good at or capable of being good at recognizing. Mm-hmm. And that I think, I do believe that we are capable of being good at reconciling, but it's, there's a big gap between the two. Let's just mm. pause there, see where yeah. we're at. Yeah, I... You know, I, I like that. 
I like that. You know, when, when you said that, it really makes me think of like <laughs> recognizing versus reconciling. And it makes me think of the amount of time Jesus spent understanding culture, understanding the gospel. And then the and then the incredible way that he proclaimed gospel and, and unveiled and ushered in the kingdom of God. But to me, I think I don't want that to be like, okay, now we all need to read a bunch of books because in, in the world of like cultural intelligence, it's like there's four steps. And it is first we become aware we want to experience the that kingdom reality, the beauty of all the different food and all the different music and the warmth and all of us feeling welcome and all of us feeling at home in the presence of God. We all want to experience that. So in cultural intelligence, first it begins with want, then it becomes with education. So the next step is I do need to read. I do need to read white fragility. I do need to read books that give me exposure, that that broaden my perspective. I'm thinking about stamped from the beginning um, or stamped or how to be anti-racist. I'm thinking about between the world and me, this narrative story mm. of a man talking to his son, the reality I want you to experience. This is how it is. But it, it gives us information. And, and a lot of times I know in my personal journey, anything involving my own personal transformation a lot of times I want to transform and then I work to educate myself and I feel like, oh, I've transformed because I'm more educated. That is not true. And it was harmful for my marriage for a long time. Right. <laughs> and it's harmful like when we behave that way in as it relates to gospel diversity. You have done a step, but you have not begun working for reconciliation. And so the next step after education is a strategy. How do we create yep. a strategy to experience gospel diversity? Can we add more seats to our session? Who's on session? How do we rotate? Who's actually representing? Is there someone advocating for gospel diversity in this space or in that space? So it's, we move from a desire to education to a strategy and then finally, then we move to like doing something. And sometimes we just mm -hmm. skip straight from like, I want to do something to do something. And that is not what we saw modeled in Jesus' life. And it's not what we see as effective in the realm of cultural intelligence and, and what we would communicate in that in that space. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. for me, that's that's what comes up for me is that, man, let, let's do our work to be self-educated so that we can understand, locate ourselves. Why is this hard yep. for me? Is this hard for me? Is this requiring me to give up something that works for me? Do I feel like I'm going to lose? Is this a lose-lose? Am I going to, does this feel like I'm belittled? Does it feel like I'm, you know, if I respect right. this culture, then I'm disrespecting mine. If we can get to this place of, okay, how do I locate, create desire? How do I educate myself? And then strategy pieces, this is where we get to work in community. So all all of that that comes up for me when you say that, uh, Rich. That that comes up for me. Well, I think that that you correctly I sort of hit the nail on the head. I I don't want to say that doing that is enough, but doing that is essential. Asking yeah. those questions, creating space and opportunity where these conversations and reflections can happen. I think is critical. Absolutely. And, um, that is one challenge that the church has. Um, we've inherited a system. Oh boy, we could pause right there. We've inherited <laughs> a system where uh, certain people are looked to as the ones who speak or the ones who decide. And for the most part, everybody that has elected to be part of that system, one way or another, supports that system and the status quo. Mm. And so this would be even a, just a good starting point. <laughs> how, how can we begin to dismantle this inherited system? And you, you know, in my experience, you do run into the, the, um, either the subconscious fear or mm -hmm. the in your face fear that, dismantling that system mm. is um 
is dangerous or heretical. Hmm. It could be it could be insulting. Say more about that. Yeah. Say to, more about that. Sure. Well, it, like I'm I'm sitting here in my office and I'm just I'm just looking at it, you know, like um I'm looking straight ahead outside my window and I'm seeing I'm seeing the church building. And I didn't build this church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've inherited it. Uh, and it has been shaped and formed. And I think any suggestion that it should be dismantled, well, that 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 sounds pretty dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I will take this, Mark, I think, back to what you're talking about in terms of scarcity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what I alluded to earlier about like the power of surrender mm-hmm. or sacrifice. I think that part of the human nature or the human condition is it, a desire to avoid surrender and sacrifice and a desire to not feel scarcity. And so those are things that we are kind of just naturally hardwired lizard brain, whatever you want to call it, to Mm -hmm. avoid. And yet those are the territories, it seems, that Jesus, God, and the Spirit call us into. Mm. Because they know that that's the place where we can, can rise above, rise out of that humanity and into a place where humanity and divinity meet. Mm. Man, I love, I love that, and and I love you know the way that you frame the the beauty of faith and what it means to move beyond. <laughs> faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things unseen. It's my ability to believe that we can reconcile and that we can have a beautifully diverse presbytery because we live in a beautifully yes. diverse presbytery, that we can have a beautifully diverse session, that we can experience the beauty of multicultural things. This is the substance of my hope. And I, what I love about that invitation to faith the, the pull beyond what we can experience, the pull beyond what we have experienced, the pull into what is possible. There's a, but when I begin to name those things, then I can imagine them. If I can name, I would love to see a more diverse session. I would love to see a more diverse group of elders. I would love to see. And we are seeing that in our presbytery, and I love that. That is yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. That is the result of faith, and it's the result of hard work by people to reconcile. They've recognized, hey, something's not here. We're not living into gospel diversity. This is our goal, and they're reconciling that, doing what they can. And I love that. I think all of our invitation today as people who follow Jesus to continue, I think there are some questions we can ask ourselves about how am I? Am I embodying that radical inclusion, boundary crossing of Jesus? Why or why not? How does doing that serve me and the kingdom of God? How does my not living into that serve me or the kingdom of God? To wrestle with some of those questions, how am I recognizing the kingdom and diversity? How am I reconciling the kingdom and diversity? How, what is my intent look like? What has my impact been in my family, in my neighborhood? So, you know, if this was our leadership podcast, we could talk about the wake of my presence, the wake of my mm. leadership. Oh, what is behind me. me? Yeah, come on now. <laughs> Man, Rich, thank you so much for your time, not just today, but the ways that you serve people, the ways that you are working to recognize and reconcile gospel diversity in our presbytery. I'm so grateful for you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Working, man. Thank you. Come on. So family listening, we are grateful for you. We are here for a conversation. Rich would love to have coffee. I would love to have coffee. That's what it means to be family. That's what it means to be a kingdom and to unveil and to work together to 
not just recognize, but to reconcile mm. and to unveil this kingdom work. Every culture under the sun's language and presence is represented and it creates beauty and honor. Amen. Mm. Amen. Amen.